Welcome back to our study of the book of Revelation. I'm glad you could come back. Remember we ended last week at the end of chapter 12. We really got into the first verse of chapter 13. Uh, at least some versions have it as the first verse of chapter 13. really does belong with chapter 12, uh, but chapters and verses and little headings, those are all things we put in there. Uh, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. In this case, it's best to remember we're talking about a beast, or, or dragon rather. We're getting to the beast. We're talking about a dragon, and this dragon was trying to destroy God's plan in Christ, but he failed. And now he's been chained down. Uh, and, and he's been defeated, but he doesn't know it yet, but we know it. And so he stands at the edge of the sea, and he looks out. It's a beautiful way to begin this chapter because something else is coming. There is no break. There is no reprieve. There is no chance to catch your breath. Round two is on its way as God and Satan do battle together. Remember that Satan is fundamentally an accuser. He uses lies and deception, but he is an accuser. And an accusation, we think of that as a, a, a charge of wrongdoing. When you're brought before a judge in court, you are charged with a crime, that's an accusation. But in some ways, accusation begins long before. The accusation is really the law itself. That's what Paul tells us, that Satan works through the law uh, to expose our humanity and our weakness. And so we're being accused just by virtue of the fact that Satan is saying to God, as he did with regard to Job, they're not worth it, they're not good enough. And he says to us that we are not worth it and we are not good enough, that we're not suited for a relationship with God. Uh, and yet we know, if we trust God, that he gave his son for us and, and he overpaid when he did that because he thinks we're worth it. So Satan is going for round two. Uh, to attack God's people, to attack God's plan. Verse 13, or excuse me, chapter 13. And in some Bibles it will be verse 2 and some will be verse 1, but we'll start at the beginning of chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, and its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Well, this is certainly going to be, this chapter, some of the more controversial items theologically in Revelation because um, a lot of scholars have a lot of different opinions about who the beast is and what is this mark he's wearing. Um, in, in years gone by, uh, there were those who, who looked at the Soviet Union and uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, who had this birthmark on his forehead and said, aha, the mark of the beast. No, um, that's not what it is, okay? We've got to remember that we live in 2021, almost 2022 now as I'm recording this, uh, as we're the, a few days prior to Christmas. We've got to remember that we're reading it today through our eyes. They read it and heard it through their eyes in their context. This is about them, and we can only learn from what occurred with them. So we've got to take it in that context. So we're going to deal with a couple of beasts here. One rises out of the sea, one rises out of the earth. Um, bear in mind, first and foremost, the dragon is something otherworldly. The dragon is Satan. 
But when these beasts come out of the land and the sea, they are earthly beasts. These are earthly enemies of God. And these beasts come and they seek to devour. And what do they do? Well, they, they have great authority. They draw people to them to worship them. Uh, they draw their authority from Satan himself. Satan is empowering them. And they're not worshiping Satan. They're worshiping the beast, but the beast draws its power from Satan. And that's why, in effect, Satan is being worshiped. Let's look at verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Um, the 42 months, it's like the um, a time and a time, times and half a time in the previous chapter. It's like when we see years, you know, uh, 1,642. Uh, the, these numbers, it's, it's not literal. 42 means it's a lengthy period of time, a lengthy and disruptive period of time, but it's not forever, okay? It is, it is still a finite amount of time, but that's what they would have understood that to mean, that this is a period of time that is going to last a while, it is going to be noticeable. It is going to hurt, but it will end, okay? So um, he, he was able to uh, exercise authority for 42 months. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has ear, let him hear. That phrase, by the way, was meant to say that those who can understand these words understand them. And how could they understand them? Because they had the books of Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah. And this imagery here is taken almost directly. I mean, it's, it's different, but the imagery itself comes right out of Daniel chapter 7. So they were familiar with these things, and they could understand these things in a way we couldn't. Most of those who heard it and read it, they knew what John was talking about. They knew what he was seeing. We have to kind of work to get there. So those who have ears, those who have understanding, let them understand these mysterious signs. So we have a beast that comes from the earth that is given power and authority by Satan, and, um, and that's a real thing. No, remember the temptations of Christ in, in, um, in Scripture. We see Jesus being tempted, and, and there's a point where Satan says, you know, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus doesn't say, well, you can't do that. You don't have the authority to. Because it seems like it's granted that Satan might have that authority. Satan runs this world sometimes, and sometimes we let him. There's a lot of pain and a lot of sin and a lot of struggle in this world, and we can't blame all of that on Satan. We empower him. We allow it. The ways that we, um, we treat our bodies, we treat ourselves. I mean, think about, especially in Western cultures, specifically the United States, obesity is such a terrible problem. Um, because we don't care for our bodies the way we should. We don't eat the way we should. And we suffer illness and death, and we look for medical science to make a pill that will, will help us live longer, even though we keep finding new ways to kill ourselves. 
Um, we look at politicians that we elect, some that we don't in some parts of the world, that we give our loyalty to, parties and politicians um, that we give our loyalty to, even nations. And we have to be careful of that because sometimes, although Romans 13 says these were designed as instruments of God in order to bring peace and blessing, they are sometimes the instrument of Satan to bring trouble and distraction. And so for a period of time that will be noticeable and painful, but not forever, this beast will reign. This beast will bring terror. This beast will bring pain and fear and make war. And everyone, it says, whose name is not written before the foundation of the world. Now let's talk about what that means, the foundation of the world. Um, before the foundation of the world. That sounds like we're saying before anything else, you know, it was decided, you have no say in it, predetermined, right? It's not what it means. When you think about Jesus, think about when, when was this plan hatched for Jesus to do what he was going to do? Um, this plan came about uh, before creation. Even. Jesus was there with God at creation. We know this. Um, and John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word is Jesus, right? We talk about the Word of God sometimes. We, we're referring to this, this book. Uh, this, is, this is what points us to the Word. Um, this, this is, I believe, the divine uh, teachings of God and the story of God and man, but the Word is Christ. And Jesus wasn't sent to the cross on a whim. That was the plan from the beginning, uh, that was the plan all along. And there's some scriptural evidence for that. But the point is, this isn't an accident, and it was determined before the creation of anything that this is what God would do. Does that mean that who is going to be saved is already predetermined? No, but it does mean that it has been predetermined what, what constitutes those who will be saved. In other words, God already knew that Jesus would die and that through his blood the, uh, mankind would come to salvation and those that would choose him and believe in him uh, and be faithful to him would be saved. That is known. That was predetermined. Now, who those people are that will accept him and be faithful and, and be saved, well, that's up to us. Even though God already knows that because he knows the future, don't get too hung up on that. Um, just know that God decided a long time ago that he was going to save people. Uh, and we have a say in that, but but God planned it. It was not an accident. It wasn't a plan B. Okay, Jesus wasn't behind the glass that you break in case of emergency. This was the plan. And Satan is trying to disrupt the plan. So, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world, of the world in the book of life of who? The Lamb who is slain, Jesus Christ. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. We move on now to, to verse uh, 10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. This is the fate of the world and of its people during this time. And these times repeat themselves, okay? We may very well experience that in our lives. Certainly other parts of the world have experienced that in our lifetimes. Uh, but this is specific because we're talking about Rome. We're talking about Rome. We're talking about um, th those emperors. Uh, Rome was a, 
was an empire, certainly. Uh, and eventually it fell, but it took it a couple hundred years to fall, really. And it was in the process of falling, and that created a great deal of stress and pain for everyone. Uh, and there was war being waged, and there was trial and struggle and suffering for everyone, and there was uh, persecution for Christians, particularly. But here you have this wounded beast that's healed from its wounds because it's, it's escaped death a time or two, much like the Roman Empire would. Um, and, and it would be no more after that. But uh, here is a call for the endurance uh, and faith of the saints. We see that at the end of chapter uh, verse 10. Now to verse 11, another beast. We have another beast? Yes, we do. The first from the sea, and then... I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Ah, we have this, we're going to see this. It was like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It looked like one thing, but it was another. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose moral wound was healed or excuse me, mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that, it, that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might speak, even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. You've heard that before, probably. That's the mark of the beast and the 666 and all that. And boy, have people had a lot of fun figuring out what that was. Um, <clears throat> it used to be the, the barcodes at the grocery store were, were, were once claimed to be the mark of the beast. Um, it's been anything and everything. Let's break this down because we have two beasts. Why do we have two beasts? Well, the first comes and has ultimate power and ultimate authority and does harm. Power derived from Satan himself to do harm and to bring war and to bring death and destruction. The second one comes and points the way and encourages and urges and even forces the worship of the first beast. Now, many scholars have said that this first beast is some kind of politician or some kind of world leader, and the second beast is a religious component that goes along forcing a fealty to the first beast. Eh, I'm not sure if it's that specific. Again, let's think of the historical context. What happened with Rome and its leaders and its emperors? Really, from the beginning, the emperors set themselves up as gods. This was especially true when you get to the time of Caesar, when you get to the time of Nero, Caligula, Dalmatia, um, which is the time that is contemporaneous to this being written. Uh, it's going from bad to worse, and these emperors believe themselves to be God. And the power of Rome forces the people to accept them as gods and treat them as gods. And what happened when you didn't? Well, we talked about that when you go back. Remember the horsemen? They were riding in and they were bringing all these terrible things in their wake. And we talked about the persecution. 
of Christians in this time and how that looked, it wasn't as direct as if they found out you were a Christian, they would kill you. It was something much more painful, something much more subtle, something much more evil. It was that if you were a Christian, you were considered an atheist, by the way, because Caesar is Lord, and if you believe in another Lord, then you don't believe in the real Lord, so you're an atheist. You don't believe in the only God, which to them was Caesar. And what happens to you? Well, you're not allowed to buy and sell in the marketplace, and you're not allowed to have the jobs that will earn you a, a livable wage, and you're not allowed to have the food and the, the things you need to survive, and, and it eventually forces you out of the land and into further danger and further harm. They were, it was a soft persecution in many respects. It was a marginalization and oppression for your beliefs that they were after. Now, what about this mark? Well, this mark is the knowledge that society and culture and governments have of your faith. You've been marked, and they were marked. Not a literal mark. This isn't the tattooed arms of of uh, victims of concentration camps during the Holocaust. It's not the barcodes at the store, and it's not Mikhail Gorbachev's birthmark. This is a mark that is placed on those who believe, who refuse to follow false gods, who refuse to give their loyalty to Caesar as Lord. They were marked. Now, what about this stuff of uh, the, the name of the beast or the number of its name? This calls for wisdom, verse 18. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Some translations and some manuscripts would say um, the, uh, the number of all mankind. Okay, so may, we're not talking about a specific person, and we're not talking about a specific number that is evil in and of itself, and we're not talking about a physical mark. What we're talking about is identifying and how we identify that thing which is trying to force our eyes away from Jesus and toward that which has the power given by Satan. So we're not looking for a beast that looks like a lamb and sounds like a dragon and has horns and a mark that marks others and it has 666 tattooed on its forehead. Remember that numbers are conceptual. They're not quantitative. And so if they're conceptual, let's remember what we learned about the numbers of the Jewish people and how they use numbers to tell stories. What was the perfect number? What was the one that represented God? Seven. Seven. Perfect number represents God. Remember what six was. The number six was the number of deception. It was the number that represented imbalance. And it represented evil. Why does six represent evil? Seven represent good perfection. Because six is very, very close to seven. Just as there are times where that which is evil and that which is the purveyor of evil clothes itself in a way that looks like God. We have to be careful of that. There are some things out there, and Scripture warns us of this, that look like they're from God, but they're not. We're told to test every spirit. We're told to be cautious in the things we hear. And we need to, to use discernment and wisdom because not everything that sounds like it's from God is from God. Because six sometimes is really close to seven. And when you have a dragon that dresses up like the lamb, it's very easy for people to get confused. When you have an emperor that says that he's God and wields the power that he does, it's easy to get confused. So, 666, we have three. 
Three is a number of repetition. It is a number of emphasis. So six being that which is slightly off of perfection. Remember, sin is a missing of the mark. Six is the number of sin. So six is just adjacent to seven. So you might be aiming for seven and you miss and hit six. So we have the number of, of deception. We have the number of sin. We have the number of evil and a number that is such because it closely follows right next to that seven. This is something that just misses the mark and the writer wants to emphasize it by saying it three times. Six, six, six. It's not some magical number. It's not some mystical apocalyptic thing. It just means there's evil in the world. Sometimes it looks good. And sometimes it comes from the things that we enable, the beasts of the earth and the sea that we voted for, that we give our loyalty to. And here's the point. Remember the theme of Revelation? Remember, we're talking about worship, orientation. In all the good and bad, in all the evil and good, in all the ups and downs, in the trials and tribulations, in the blessing and in the pain, the direction we point is fundamentally important. And God wants us to look to Jesus and point ourselves toward him for our salvation. It's as simple as that. And here's the challenging thing and the hard truth. In order for us to be saved, we have to look at Jesus Christ. We have to focus ourselves on him and try to be like him. For Jesus to win, we've got to be pointed toward him. What does it take for Satan to win? He doesn't need you to look at him in order to win. That's the hard part. That's the thing that's so evil. Jesus needs us to look at him and move toward him to be saved. We have to focus on, focus on Christ for the sake of our soul. But for Satan to win, he just needs you to look at anything else but Jesus. He has a lot of tools and a lot of weapons. And this 666 that we made into this big deal, it really just means the things that try to draw us away from Jesus. The powers of this world, emboldened by Satan, enabled by us even, will try to drag us away and distract us. Jesus needs our focus in order to win. Satan just needs your focus anywhere but Jesus. Keep your guard up. Be strong. Be faithful. Chapter 14 is coming. We'll see you then.